If you've been here for the uh, last few weeks, you know that I've been um, dipping into David's mindset, David's spirit at the worst time of his life when absolutely everything came home to roost and his life was falling apart. And at such a time, he gave us uh, the Psalms that most people know. It's very interesting. Um, If you say Psalm 23, everybody knows that. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, Psalm 3, you are my glory and the lifter of my head. Those Psalms and others were written at that time. Uh, David was probably in his 50s, and that's pretty old for people in those days. Uh, And everything has fallen apart. Absalom, uh, his son, is leading a very angry force of people to murder him. And he's fled for his life as a refugee. And at that time, we've seen him once already, Psalm 3, but he, he wrote Psalm 23. We've, we've got this image, a little shepherd boy playing twang, twang, twang to his goats and whatever. Uh, no, he was a king who was a refugee fleeing from his son. His life was in the balance and, well, more than in the balance, it looked like it was going to be over very quickly. And at that time, he wrote Psalm 23. And I set out to speak about Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me, or better, shall relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. Well, as I prepared it, I got as far as the first word. And so I want to talk about surely uh, it's it's a word we do use today, but I think we've missed totally what it means in the Scripture. Surely. You know, why didn't he simply say, goodness and loving kindness will follow me? Why does he preface it by saying, surely? Th- this word is very important in Scripture. It is a covenant word. When persons made covenant, then they would use this word to describe the promises and commitments they'd made to each other, um, you could actually place it into our wedding service, the wedding ceremony, which is the only thing left in the West, which is a covenant. But if you said in the wedding service, surely, for better, for worse, surely, in sickness and in health, that, that would get the idea. It means I am committed to this. Come hell or high water, come death or life, surely. That, that's it. And you never use the word casually. It was always with that understanding. Even if you didn't use it absolutely covenantally, it was always back there that this is a solemn word, This is a word which is declaring the promises I've made, commitments I've made, terms of life that I've laid down. They are now accomplished. They're done, and they're functioning. It's happening. And so it speaks to the oath uh, in, in the marriage service that I just referenced. That is an oath you're taking before God. Well, that's what this word speaks to. It speaks to the oath of covenant. 
when the maker of the covenant says, so help me God, unto life or to death I will keep my word. And you used it, um, it would be like the, the person entering covenant would say, surely I am with you. It's the the word you can take. It's saying you can take this one to the bank. You know, there's no doubt about this. This is the way things are. And the uh, as I said, here in the West, we know nothing about covenant. We are <clears throat> the blindest, deafest, mutest people in the world. Because wherever else you go in the world, they know about covenant. They still do it. Um, we don't. Uh, we we are so shallow, we're so self-centered in the West, we've turned it, deliberately turned the word into contract. And a contract is the absolute reverse of covenant. If I make a contract with you, it's because I don't trust you as far as I can see you. It, it means if I say surely, I'm saying you'd better do this or I'll get you. Uh, and, and it's got all these ifs in it. If you do this, I'll do that. If, if. Uh, that's a contract. It's a terrible document. It's got nothing to do with love, nothing to do with trust. It's everything to do with protecting me against you because I don't trust you. Covenant is nothing. Well, it's the polar opposite. It is that I now, without boundaries, within the scope of these promises I make, I give myself totally to you in order that I might be for you all you need me to be. And that is for life or for death. There's no ifs in it. It's not if you're a good boy. It is, I'm going to be with you. Whatever happens, wherever you go, whatever you get yourself into, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. It will be until death. It may be that to keep this covenant, I will have to die for you. Well, so be it. And so they would actually cut their hand or their arm, and with the blood running down, they would say, until death do us part. It's, it's life or death. That, that's a covenant. And that's the word that dominates the entire Bible. Old Testament should be Old Covenant. The word testament, why on earth do they put that? I don't know. It should be covenant and new covenant. And it's, as I say, all through the Old Testament, you have covenants that are made that come to the grand finale in the blood of Jesus being shed, which is called the new covenant. So what am I saying is the unspeakable, really, if you haven't heard it before, God has made covenant with us. Now, after what I've just said about covenant, it means God has given himself away to us, literally. He said, I will be your God. I am giving myself to you. And in giving myself to you, I ask nothing of you because I know you would break it anyway. So I'm taking my part in giving, but I'm also taking your part. And this, this I am the personal guarantee of this covenant. I am going to do this. All you do is rest into me and say, thank you. It's my gift. It's the covenant. And he prefaces the covenant with surely. Now, just, just to think for a minute, I, I said there's a covenant oath. 
when when we make a covenant, we call upon God and say, so help me God, and, and watch over this covenant that I keep it. Well, who does God call out to? If God makes a covenant, who does he say, I swear by? His God. And the Bible makes a lot of that, that when he made covenant with us, he couldn't swear by any greater, for he is God. So therefore he swore upon his own being as God and was saying that if I don't keep this covenant, then God himself will cease to exist. And if God ceases, then the whole creation poofs, it's gone. That's the solemnity that is behind this word, surely. It is saying God has sworn on his own being. And why does he make a covenant? Why can't he just say it? Well, he could. He does not need a covenant to make sure he'll keep it. And that's how human beings do it. Uh, I love you, but I know my weakness. And so we'll make a covenant and bind ourselves to keep this. Well, God's not going to forget the covenant. God's not going to forget what he said, nor is he going to change his mind. So why does he do it? And he says he does it for us because we are so used to people letting us down. We are so used to words that don't mean anything that he said, just for you, I've given you my word, but now I'm going to add to that a covenant so that by these two things, you will know I can never let you down. I can never lie to you. I can never alter what I say. And let, let me read it to you um, in Hebrews 6.13. It says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, now here, remember I've just said, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, I will surely, that's the word, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply you. And so Abraham patiently waited, obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. You made the oath, that's the end of it. We're not going to talk about it anymore. It's done. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, put there an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, his word and the covenant, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge have strong encouragement. And the Amplified um, is a little easier, maybe. I'll quickly read it. Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves. With them in all disputes, the oath taken for confirmation is the final. It's the ending. Accordingly, God also, in his desire to show more convincingly and beyond any doubt to those who were to inherit the promise, He's showing them the unchangeableness of his purpose and plan. He intervened, mediated with an oath. This was so that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his covenant oath, 
in which it's impossible for God ever to prove false or to deceive us. It's impossible. That's all wrapped up in the word surely. Uh, When you say surely, that's what you're referring to. And just one more, uh, David was given, God spoke to David about the covenant in Psalm 89, 33. And he says to David, I will not break off my loving kindness or my covenant from him, nor deal, deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. That is, you're not going to turn to Scripture and say there's a promise and God say, well, we changed that in 1800. It's, I'm sorry, you didn't get the memo. It, no, as it was written, so it is. He says that, that it's um, done. I will not alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie. Okay. And, of course, as I said, all these covenants pointed to Jesus when God himself became man, when God joined with us to perfection. That is, he was 100% man as you and I. He took our place yet never ceased to be God. And so in him, God and man joined together and shedding his blood indeed to death, he carried us to the Father and seated us inside his incredible love and goodness and loving kindness. So I I, I can't say any more than that. Uh, I think that establishes what this word surely is rooted in. When you said surely, it's the most solemn word you can ever say. Surely. In fact, let me say this, to reverse it. Let's say we'll reverse it. God is not good. God does not exercise his loving kindness toward you. Well, for you to say that and, and have some effect, it would mean that we have to reverse the resurrection. Jesus has got to go back into death and not get out. Well, actually, no, it's worse than that. He, he, he's got to um, go back to the incarnation, go back into the womb of the Virgin Mary, and back and then be a stillborn and nothing. And, well, if that happens, then the very purpose of God from the beginning falls apart. Everything falls apart. I want you to feel the seriousness. I, I wasn't just kind of joking there. I mean it. To reverse the word surely, you have to reverse the resurrection and reverse the incarnation and to leave us with a no God. That's pretty strong. Now, what is goodness? Surely goodness. Goodness, without taking the whole hour on it, is the glory of God. Do you remember in Exodus, Moses said, show me your glory. And when he did, remember it says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And so the goodness of God is the glory of God. And we've talked before that the very word glory, one of its first meanings is opinion. And, and and therefore, the opinion of God toward us, that's his glory. Search every 
nook and cranny of the universe, you will never find a God invented by humans that has any opinion about you that, that is love. And that's why that's the touchstone. When you, you come up against religion, and religion does not worship the God who came to us in Jesus Christ, even though the word Christian might be outside the church. Religion has created a God whose opinion of us is dirt. Uh, and, and now we come to the God who comes to us in Jesus, and his opinion of us is nothing but goodness. That is, he's committed. That's his opinion that he is going to reveal to us over and over and over again. What is, what is that goodness? Jesus likened it to a good father. If you remember, he went back there more than once and said that you give good gifts to your children. And he says, you, you're not really much of fathers anyway. Do you remember? He said, you, you being evil, yet you do as fathers know how to give good gifts. How much more your heavenly father is the ultimate good. He is the, he is the good and, and delights to give to us. And he goes on at that time to say something that's very upsetting to a lot of people, where he says, your father is so good. He gives rain upon the fields of the just and the unjust. So apparently he's not ordering his goodness according to the behavior of humans. No, it's all part of that, surely. God, God says, you can't influence me by how you behave. You don't, don't think you can say something and I'll go off in a pouting huff. No, he says, I am who I am and I do what I do because I am who I am, not because of who you are. So I bless the just and I bless the unjust and I give good gifts. Goodness. He's watching over us. You could almost say the words that are used, almost. I'm not saying this is the best translation. I'm just saying almost. He could say he fusses over us. Um, he cares for you. That's what it says. But care has in it the idea of fuss. It, it means he's watching for everything that you need, everything that will make you filled with joy and going out of his way to wonderfully surprise you. He's good father. He's good dad. That's what Jesus was saying. Um, his goodness is revealed in his ever-present love. Goodness, loving kindness, well, that's a word that's joined to covenant. When a covenant is made thereafter, you live in this state called loving kindness, which is that in every day, it's, it's, it's sort of the workhorse of the covenant. It's it's when the covenant is seven days a week, uh, 24-7. It's, it's what's happening to you, and you're going to meet loving kindness all the time. He's always there saying, remember, I made covenant. I made covenant. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. And this is where you go from here, and this is where you go from here. He's never leaving us but vitally involved in, in our lives. That's loving kindness, which spills into the New Testament um, as grace. You won't find the word grace very much in the Old Testament. Uh, the word grace in the Old Testament is loving kindness. And in the New Testament, it says grace. This unlimited giving of God to us. For it says that Jesus is grace. Grace is not some you know, fuzzy white thing that comes on us when we need help. 
um, nor is it, you know, what, what's that thing they say? That, that grace is uh, God, you know, undeserved favor. That's so, it's so shallow. That grace means that God gives his very self to us. And that giving is in Jesus, who is God with us. And so he is the source of all grace, all giving, and he never quits. He says grace upon grace, which is almost like the waves of the sea. One wave comes in, another follows, and another follows. Every time he gives, grace replaces, grace replaces. You're never without it. Grace, loving kindness. Okay. It says in Lamentations, um, Jeremiah says, I recall this to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That is saying what I've been trying to say for the last 20 minutes. And he says, surely, that will be enough. But he says, my goodness and my loving kindness. And, of course, I already corrected it when we read it. Our Bible say follow, which is a very weak translation. The word there is used very specifically of a relentlessly pursuing it, it means that nothing, nothing will stop him coming after us to to be that to us. And so every promise, everything God has ever said, there it is, handed to us with surely. A God who never quits giving to us, surely. The, the, the word, let me quickly give some other possibilities to the word because they might help. I, I tell you where it shows up in our modern language is assurance. Assurance. Um, assurance is another covenant word. It means that you have sworn to me an oath to never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, I have, I'm assured. Assured. That, that would be this word, surely. But it means certain. Feel these words. They're, they're not, we don't use them much in English anymore. There's nothing certain. But you come to God and you expect him to be as uncertain as, as Washington is. But no, feel it. When God says certain, as we've seen, he means life and death. I can never, never forsake you. I'm certain. It means unfailing. It means infallible. It means what I have said is secure beyond all possibility of failing or being altered or being adjusted or being broken, being forgotten. That's all impossible. This is an infallible word. word. There'll never be a day when God will fail in keeping his word to us. So it means unshakable. It means permanent, surely. And I'm going to say this more than once, I think, uh, that surely does not apply to us, but it applies to the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. 
that is, I don't have to grope inside of me and say to God, surely, God, I meant my decision. Uh, no, that's why people get saved on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, because it never works. Uh, your decision is not worth the breath that you speak it in. Sorry, but that includes me. We're frail, we're weak, and God knows that you are dust. And right from the beginning, he never called upon us to say to him, surely. He says to us, surely. This is a surely an unfailing word, gift of himself, that comes to us from God without calling on us. Okay. Did I, you got that. Um, it, it's a word that points to the Trinity, never to us. Now, that I said that pretty quickly. That was pretty easy to say. Could take us a week to work it out. Because it means there's nothing I can do for God. And that, that's kind of upsetting to my flesh. I was kind of proud of what I did for God. But it, there's, there's no, I can't do anything. If it's grace, then grace at its heart means a gift that flows unconditionally from the giver. Well, if I come along and say, how much is that going to cost? That is no longer a gift. In fact, I have insulted the giver, right? You tried that on Christmas Day. You know, oh, it's very nice. How much did it cost? What, what do I owe you? Uh, it's No, it's ridiculous. And yet that is the meaning of religion. Religion is where they assess the cost of God, and, and you, you've got to buy him. Um, it, but this is the settled knowledge that he cannot lie it's because of who he is. It's because the very meaning of agape, God love, is that passion, that divine must, in which God must do us good, for that is his being. He must exercise covenant loving kindness. That's who he is. He is the kind of God that's going to surprise you today because he's into that sort of stuff. He's good. He's a good dad. And he just loves the look on your face when he surprises you with good. You didn't think you were better than God in looking after your kids, did you? I mean, he, really, Jesus used these illustrations. I'm, I'm only putting them into a little more modern. It's the character of God. God's character is he's the ultimate giver who delights in giving, and his gift is goodness. That's his character. That's who he is. It's the kind of God he is. And when we talk of God, he doesn't have anything. He always is it. So he doesn't have goodness, because then it could be less tomorrow than it is today. But if he is it, then he's the original fountain of all giving and of all goodness and of all love and all kindness. And, and, and you've got, you got to be amazed of that. That makes us stand outside ourselves. We lose our mind for a minute. It's a wonder. It's beyond our comprehension. 
because I guarantee that 99.9% of you listening on Zoom and those of you listening on the webinar as well as here, this, this has been our life. This is not hidden in a corner. We've been trained to think of God as anything but that. You don't, you don't wake up in the morning and say, I wonder how he's going to surprise me with goodness today. No. Over breakfast, I wonder what loving kindness is going to look like today. No, we're, we're cowering before that monstrosity that they've given to us. Who's obsessed with sin. He is obsessed with sin, the God of religion. He's continually upset with you, continually. That's why he created you, to be annoyed with you forever. Uh, and, uh, and he's forever finding a new threat to separate you away from him. This God, I mean, do, do I make sense here? that I, I'm, I'm getting to the point of speechless here. This God, surely... This God is going to go to the death in order to surround you and fill your life with his goodness and loving kindness. And that's who he is. That's his character. So David knows that, even though Absalom is pressing down on him with intent to murder his own father, David is saying, this is my life. I'm like a cork that floats out of vast ocean of goodness and loving kindness, and that stands between me and Absalom. Surely. As I said, it's the declaration, surely. Okay. Now, we don't have to talk about any more. You've just said that's it. It's done. We, we don't have to work out the details. You said, Surely. I give my word, it's done. It's now functioning. It's ratified. Now, is, is, now, always in the present tense, is now. Which I think is something that we need to consider. Just that simple fact, like is, now, is now at this very moment, that is, this isn't something I'm saying, and you say, well, that's a jolly good idea, I'll go home and think about that. No, I'm telling you right at this minute, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God, that is rooted and grounded in his sworn oath of the blood of Jesus, is, right now, as the clock ticks, right now, is. You don't have to go home and think about it. Don't have to wait for me to give an appeal because I won't give one. Um, it, it's, it's right now. It's right now. Is. That, that's the meaning of surely. It's done. Don't have to ask questions about it anymore. There's no possible. All my thoughts and all my imaginations concerning my past and my present and the future are all governed by this ultimate fact. When my mind goes back to stuff done in the past, the Holy Spirit brings me back and says, surely, don't, don't go back there. Surely is now goodness and loving kindness. And, and I wander like a lost sheep into tomorrow, which is filled with anxiety and worry. And the Holy Spirit says, surely, come back, come back. Surely, goodness, there's enough goodness for today and there'll be enough goodness for tomorrow. That's the way it is. It's the ultimate fact. 
And again, forgive me for going to him more than usual, but th- th- this is so remote from what we're taught in many churches that I have to keep going back to it. That religion taught me, uh, um, maybe not you, but I could never, I couldn't talk to God like this. Couldn't. You, you, you had prayer meetings, but really you left saying, well, I hope so. Really, if you were honest about it. And the way you come back and pray for the same thing next week, it means you last week didn't mean a thing. Uh, um, and then, of course, we always try to get God off the hook because we know he's not going to do it. You see, he's not a faithful God. But we're, we're sorry for him. So we give him an out, and we say, if it be your will. Everybody's off the hook now. So nothing happens. One didn't expect it. It wasn't his will. You see. There's no surely there. It's, And even if it applies to me, well, then it's always if you do this and if you do that. And it, do you realize where we're we're putting ourselves in a corner here that's a very narrow corner? Surely means shut up all of that religious crap and just believe he means it. And he's a faithful God who for our sake gave us his word and a covenant oath and said, surely. Huh. I I realize that much of my life looked upon the promises of God as being in in the window of the God store. And and there was a very high price on all of it. And at the door, they reminded me I've got to pay the price and go all the way and and all those other words. And, um, but even then they wouldn't guarantee I would have enough cash in hand to buy it. And so all the promises of God, the whole massive um, sort of the kingdom of God that's placed in front of us really is a tease. I've got no guarantee it would ever happen. My experience is most of it doesn't anyway. And, and the way I, when we go to prayer meetings is pretty obvious. No one expects anything to happen, not yet anyway. It's always. And everything that God says he gave us, we are asking for now, so I guess he didn't. Uh, do, do you understand? I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm, there's something here that has hit me very deep, and it, it is the utter simplicity, surely. Then we don't keep asking for this. We, we act as if it's true. Um, we go into our day acting as if it's true, because surely means you don't go back and say, let's redo that document of the covenant. No, you don't alter it. He doesn't alter it. It can't be altered. It's stained in your blood. No. But as I say, we've, we've been taught that God's covenant oath, in fact, in practice, means nothing. It only means that we now have got to take over and make it happen by endless prayer and fasting and claiming and confessing and doing anything to get there when he says, you're there, you're you're here. And, of course, all our anxiety in actual fact is contradicting God's faithfulness. It's a heavy statement, but it's true. Every time I'm anxious, 
it means that I'm putting a big dark question mark over God's faithfulness because I'm going off into the future and so help me, I'm alone. And this is what's going to happen, I'm sure. And we get anxious. Well, you've just said God's a liar. He has forsaken me and so on. And that, that's why we hesitate over this word, surely. And the word's too big. It, it destroys too much, just flops on the table and everything else falls apart. All my beautiful religious ways, everything, all the sermons we've preached, they all just collapse, surely. God said, would you stop talking? I said, I'd do it. End of discussion. Surely. But we are, we want to give God wriggle room, you know. We've taught to always be ambiguous, never never go for what the Bible says, just sort of skirt around it, sound spiritual. Always put it in the future tense. There's always a delay. You'll get it one day. And that's why I keep coming back to prayer meetings, because you said last prayer meeting, oh, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Well, number one, that's a prophecy of the incarnation. So he, he has rend the heavens and come down. But, okay, you didn't know that. Okay, I'm sorry. You haven't heard the gospel. But, okay, you're going to pray that and pray that and pray that. But apparently in the next seven days, he doesn't rend the heavens and come down because you're praying the same thing next week. This stupidity that organized religion has brought about, nothing but delay, 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 and forget what he's done, forget what he's done. We're in this no man's land now of we've got to try and be better, we've got to try and do good, we've got to pray more, fast more, read the Bible more. God says no. See, if you don't believe you've got this, then you'll always be asking, what do I do to get it? Once you know it's yours in Christ Jesus, given by sheer grace, well, then you don't ask, what do I have to do? You just relax into it. Because it is so. It is so. But it's very difficult for us in the West because... Religion has introduced to us and etched into our very souls a God who is unfaithful, who never keeps his word. So we have to keep on trying to make it happen. So for such people as me, and I suspect for most of us, the word surely, if we've narrowed it down to what it really means, surely it means that we are going to fall with no visible means of support and land right in the arms of God's love. But I have lived my life with visible means of support, which in actual fact have canceled out my ever finding rest in the arms of God. But now the word surely says, take away all the visible means of support. It's a free fall. Am I, am I making it clear? We've been raised on if you, if you, if you, if you. And surely says, sweep it all away and just leap into my arms because I'm a good dad. I'm a good father. 
And I have sworn upon the very life of the Holy Trinity that this is yours. And so David looked out. He was camped out in the wilderness. If you be somewhere today where it's called Jordan, he crossed over the river and, and he's out there, which in those days was wilderness. And there's a, just a handful of people with him. Absalom knows where he is. There are spies in the camp. It's a real cloak and dagger story. And he looks out on all that. No, no visible means of support. The people with him are not enough, really, to carry this off. Any expert on these military matters would have told him, you might as well just surrender. It's, you're, you're, you're wasting your time. E everything he looked out on was the reverse of goodness and loving kindness, the reverse of any God that cared two cents for him. And yet, it's almost you could say he snuggled down between the sheets of surely. I mean, is there any fear, any anxiety in this entire psalm? It's only six verses. This, this sums up the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come on, David. Do you know where you are? Are you in super denial? <laughs> I shall not want. That's all you have right now, David. Nothing but a list of wants. What, what are you looking at? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my... We're having a party in the presence of my enemies. And then this. No, you see, he's not denying. David does not deny. And if you read the history of this in the book of Samuel, you see he wasn't denying. He has to go and face Absalom. He knows he's there. But... He chose to, what can I say, he fastened his gaze. Would that not too poetic? Um, he focused, he focused on the surely, the impossibility of God's goodness being absent from his life. He focused on that. And in focusing on that, Absalom went slightly out of focus. And I think that's why he uses the term, which our translators have totally missed, where surely goodness and loving kindness sh they shall follow me. Sounds like an obedient dog. Um, well, the word there in the Hebrew language is a very specific word. And this is the only time it's used in this positive way. Normally, this word that we've translated follow but it's everywhere else in the Old Testament is translated of an enemy force that is descending upon you with a relentless, focused passion, and they are going to destroy you. It's a, it's a terrifying word of, of a pursuing enemy who is your superior in force, and they are coming to get you. And this is the only time that word is taken and used of God's pursuing us. It means pursuing with force. 
energy, focus, and it means without any sleep, you're, 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 you're coming. And he uses it of God. Now, do you see? You could say of Absalom, he was relentlessly pursuing David. That would be the word that was used. David uses that word and says, ah, but there's someone between you and me. I am being relentlessly pursued. I don't know. Absalom's out there. In between me and Absalom, I'm being pursued relentlessly by goodness and loving kindness. I'm not denying the problems in life. I'm not denying what you've left behind at home to be here and listen. I know what's pushing there behind you, the darkness. I know what kind of year this has been. And not only the pandemic, but some of you listening in California with the fires and some of you down on the Louisiana coast with the hurricanes, this has been some year. We're not denying that. Always saying between you and whatever it is that comes to destroy you, there is the relentless pursuing of the love of God. That is, David said, he, well, he, what he's showing us here, he fastens his eyes on that. It depends where you're looking. Okay, you could say, get out of my way, God. I, I, I think Absalom's over here. Rather, no, Absalom is there, but he's slightly out of focus because the most important thing at this present moment, as I consider the darkness pressing in upon me, is that closer than the darkness is the goodness, the loving kindness of God. So you could say uh, David's pillow when he went to sleep his sleep was the guarantee he slept on the pillow of the guarantee of the unalterable covenant oath of God. Uh, it's, it's referenced, I think, in Psalm sixteen eight, where he says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken, which is an Old Testament phrase for anxiety. Shaken, that means anxiety. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, I dwell securely. The word set, I have set the Lord before me continually. That's an interesting word. We'll probably send an hour on that one of these days. It, it means to stand on the level with. So right now, you all are set before me. As much as we can, you all are set before me. Um, it, it it means it actually means equalize. I mean, it's really eye to eye. It's that other phrase that comes up sooner or later, face to face. <clears throat> we we're not groveling. David is not saying, "Oh God, help me." He says, "I've set the Lord with eye to eye, face to face. We're equal." And and the word also means to agree with. That is, we, we have an equal understanding of this. I know what you know, you know what I know, and we're agreed. Uh, which David is saying, uh, what you've said, I, I know what you've said, and I, I agree with you, and I'm going to pitch my tent there. I'm going to lay my pillow there. That that that's That's what it is. 
Um, it means to then be like, equal, be like. It means God says, I say, God thinks, I think. We're, we're, we're the same on this, we're on the same page. Yeah, but just a minute. David had asked for this. I mean, there's enough in Scripture about David, you don't have to apologize. His whole life is laid out before you in the Scripture. And I've got to be honest. Yeah, Absalom is coming like a mad idiot to murder his father, but... Let me say it again, David had asked for this. David was the most dysfunctional father probably in the Old Testament. Uh, he, I, I can't say a good thing about it, really. I'm sorry, not when he comes to this. He, he made a mess of being a father, ignored his kids, really, too busy doing other things. And when it came to Absalom, there was a terrible thing that happened. Um, Absalom had a sister that he loved very much, Tamar. And one of his half-brothers, one of Absalom's half-brothers, raped his sister. And, and Absalom was raged and went to, want David, come on, you, you're the daddy. Do and David did nothing. And that's when all this started, Absalom. Absalom lost faith in his father. Absalom says, you're, you're not worth being king. And all those feelings came up. And then, of course, the, that whole sordid affair with Bathsheba and the removal of Bathsheba's husband. And that was not done in a corner. That, everybody knew about that. The people lost faith in him. And at this time in his life, everything's falling apart. His family were shot, and he, he knows it. He knows what he did. He knows it's his fault. And he knows about the people no longer thinking he is what he really was. I was going to say God's gift to Israel. What he really was, that was, but people don't see that anymore. So what do you do with that? And, and I speak to people, speak to all of us, because I'm pretty certain we've all been there. We have many a time, we have screwed up, and sometimes big time. And certain things happen because of that. And I was taught that now God himself is against you because look what you did. This is the result of a, you can't expect God to get you out of this one. You got yourself here. You made your bed, lay in it. And maybe, maybe you'll hear the voice of God teaching you as he judges you. Ever heard that? So what's happened here? I guess that goes back to his goodness is that he causes rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. Oh, I know this is so upsetting. I, it really is. Because the real God doesn't seem to have what? He doesn't seem to have a problem with sin. Could it be because Jesus dealt with it? Wow, what a thought. What a thought. 
Could it be religion has never heard that Jesus dealt with it? Dare I, dare I, dare I really look at my life through the blood of Jesus and say that I am made righteous, declared innocent, and I stand before God eye to eye and call him Father, and he calls me Son, participant in the divine nature. And every tutor I had in my youth says, but that's not fair, God is just. He is just. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have projected our court system. We've projected all our ideas of fairness onto God and made a God in our image and then have him condemn us. But I come on this, and if you have a better answer to this, this surely goes an awful long way. That when I do not deserve it, when I indeed am the author of my own mess, he still doesn't leave me. And he doesn't bring up new words to describe what he's going to do to me. He sticks with goodness and loving kindness. Amazing. Oh, by the way, you can leave God. And I don't mean that, you know, that you fall into endless darkness. But you, you, you couldn't walk away. You can this. Ever heard of lost sheep? And heard that it, the shepherd says, my sheep. So it was his sheep that wandered off. Yeah, we can. It doesn't take a moment, actually, just to turn of the head away from the light. Then you're in the shadow of your own darkness. And once you're there, you're worrying about tomorrow because that's intense darkness when you worry about tomorrow. Especially when you worry because you don't see God there at all. So you're accusing him of unfaithfulness. Yeah, we can. We do. Stop looking at me like a saint. You do. We all do. We turn away. But he never leaves you. So in a sense, I have turned away from me. I've turned away from my true self. I've turned away from my real identity in the light. And I've turned away. I've forgotten him, you remember the word forgot in the Hebrew means to, it's no longer relevant in this case. But he hasn't left me. So he's still in with the real me, and he's still being the real God that he is. And so, as we talked about in Psalm 3, in a split second, but... And I can turn around to the light and I'm home. And he doesn't scold me and, and put me in the basement for four days as a punishment for walking away. He receives me back immediately. The, the, in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 5. And I'm reading it from the Amplified because it expands on the Greek word so perfectly. For he, God himself, 
God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Surely not. Well, I'll say very quickly, this was David's story. Something else we've talked about. You, you know, let me say quickly, your emotions in any given situation, whether they be positive or negative, they last. Now, this is science, okay? I'm not making this up. Your emotions, good or bad, last for about 45 seconds. And anything that makes you deliriously happy or full of rage, it actually lasts for 45 seconds. It's what you tell your emotions on the 46th second and for the next 40 years that keeps that emotion alive. Have you noticed that when someone hurts you, what do you do? You tell yourself the story of how they hurt you again and again, and also at the speed of light. So you tell it to yourself half a million times during the day. He said this. Can you believe? You're talking to yourself. You say, can you believe she said that? Do you remember how she did it? Yeah, you told me that five times in the last two seconds, but over and over. over. It's a story we tell ourselves. And as I say, you can tell that story for 40 years, and that story will control you and shape your face. It will shape your body. It will direct your diseases, the story. Well, it works the other way too. And David told himself a story. And it wasn't a story about what a lousy father he was. And it wasn't a story about how he had taken Bathsheba. It wasn't the story of his failures. It was a story not about him at all. It was a story surely, surely, the Holy Trinity, surely goodness and loving kindness will relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. That was his story, and he stuck to it. That's grace. You say, well, that's being cheap on sin. No, because if you say that, you see, it means you, you haven't visited the blood of Jesus. For God to say that, for God to make that covenant real, you go through the sufferings of Jesus in which he joined us at our worst and carried us personally into death that he might raise us into newness of life. No, the truth is we haven't taken sin seriously enough to realize what it cost God to say this. But then once you've got that, take that so seriously that you can say this. Trouble is, we take ourselves seriously. I did this as if it's the end of the world. I said that. I should have. I ought to have. Stop taking yourself so seriously. 
God himself joined us and carried us to death. And then from death announced the light of his salvation and carried us in resurrection. You were raised from the dead in the resurrection of Jesus. Stop taking yourself so seriously and take God seriously when he says, surely. Confession of sin is telling your sin about God, not telling God about your sin. That was a religious myth that came up too early in the Christian church. The whole Bible says that confession is saying together with God, the same way as that set. You, you're, you're saying the same thing. You, you say together with God what God is saying about your sin. I don't care what you're saying about your sin, nor what your neighbor is saying about your sin. Who are they? Don't take them so seriously. There's only one person you take seriously, and that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we take him seriously. That was, we interpret our life in the light of his truth. We expect, we expect his truth to be. He said, surely, it's sworn in the blood of Jesus. We anticipate it. We're looking for it. And we look for it with no reference to what's happening right now. You don't say, well, God said this, but. No, that goes slightly out of focus, and we're set. We, we tell, that's our story. The story of my life is God's story of my life. You say, well, nothing's happening. No, does it have to happen yet? I I mean, it's settled, isn't it? This is who God is. This is what he's doing. This is what he will do. I, I don't have to have a time period, or to put it biblically, who through faith and patience inherited the promises. It's the meaning of the word wait. So, and, and also, boy, this almost demands another hour, doesn't it? Well, very quickly, we don't rejoice. This is going to sound trite, and that's why I need more time. But we, we don't rejoice in God fixing things. This isn't about God fixing things. So David is not rejoicing because God is going to defeat Absalom. God re, uh, David rejoices because this is the kind of God that is my God, and I can't get over it. And so... Whether he fixes or not, I'll go through it with a God who's good to me every day. And if he fixes it, well, that's great. He's a God who is good to me every day. But if he doesn't fix it and I have to go through it, well, I will go through it upheld by goodness, surrounded by loving kindness, and the joy of God will be in my heart because my joy is in who God is, not something he does for me. Did you get that? It's kind of too quick to say it. Okay, Acts 16, when, when uh, Paul and Silas, the most unbelievable torture, which you might not have heard, but they were beaten and they were their muscles twisted to the point of screaming and then locked there in a, in a vice and, and in the innermost dungeon. 
And they begin to sing and sing and sing until the prisoners in the outermost jail could hear them. Well, what were they doing that? That's an honest question. Why were they doing that? It doesn't say that they did it because they felt if they sang to God long enough and loud enough, he would finally get the message that he was an okay God, and then he would knock the prison down. There's no none of that in the Bible. They didn't sing in order to knock the prison down. They sang because in this very moment that I'm in this tortured position, God is good, and he fills my life, and he is love, and, and he, he's an incredible God, so I'll sing praise to him. And I think they were as shocked as anybody else when there was an earthquake and the prison fell down. I hope you get that, because it's at the center of it. I live in the surely, and and the word surely also means only, because if something is sure, then it becomes only. There's no room for anything else. And so he's saying only, and that puts a different weight on it, only, only goodness and loving kindness relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. Only. It, only is a word with limitations and marked boundaries. Only. You know, there's, there's only four seats left. Well, don't bring a fifth one in then. There's only. It's, it's very limited. Only. And, and David said only. So if, if it's only goodness, if it's only loving kindness, I'm not going to bother looking at anything else, I am going to realize there's only one possible outcome here, and that is goodness and loving kindness. If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, shall he not freely give us all things? Good questions, Paul. Mm -hmm. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? What can you do to me? What can you do to me that will make the love of Christ disappear. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. <laughs> In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who keeps on loving us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, demons, powers, height, depth, or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not once does he say that he's going to throw all these things over and trample them down so that, oh, no, he's a good God. He said, bring it on. You can't separate me from God. He will reveal himself in me, to me, around me, under me, over me, as the good God of loving kindness. There's one thing, and I'm done. I, I was um, reading astronomy in, in the last week, and very important. They, they've created new maps of the universe. You all need that. And so they found out that the Earth is much closer to the center of the, the galaxy than we'd, we've thought it was. Well, that's very upsetting. I mean built our lives around the earth is so far away from the center. But as this astronomer is saying it, I, I'm, I mean, it, it really got to me. I forget the details. 
but but he said now that doesn't mean <laughs> that doesn't mean the earth has moved closer to the center he said it's always been where it is we just had the wrong map but he said now we've corrected the map it's the map that's changed not how we relate to the center of the galaxy I thought, no, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Everything I've said this morning always has been. But religion had the wrong map. And their map says we were separated by a gazillion miles from God, and God was this and God was that, and we had to try and, well, they had the wrong map but it didn't mean that that's where you really were. Right at this minute, you are in the middle of surely goodness and loving kindness does now follow me all the days of my life. That's the map. That's where you are. If somebody gave you the wrong map, well, tough. Uh, didn't change it. That's the way God was in relation to you. And because there's been too many of those bad maps, I had to tell you this so you'd realize who you are and to realize it was a bad map. I've given you God's map. This is who you are. This is the way it is. And so as we come in a few moments to celebrate the Eucharist and we hold the bread, the body of Christ, and the cup, the blood of Christ, Surely, that's exactly where it fits. When you eat of the body and drink of the blood, hear the Holy Spirit engrave on your heart. Surely, this is the covenant. We say it's the blood of the new covenant, 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 which means the entirety of the energy of God's surely is placed again and again within us every time we participate. And so now may the blessing of God, who is almighty love and goodness, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may his blessing of the Holy Spirit's enlightenment Fill us that we might with great delight free fall into your blessing. So I declare the blessing upon you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.